0: Today on Crossroads in Culture, I'll be talking about a decision that was made, legislation that was passed by the United States House of Representatives yesterday, called the Equality Act. I'm going to be talking about what it is and what does this mean for us as followers of Jesus and the Church, and how we should respond and navigate this in the culture in which we live. That's coming up today on Crossroads in Culture. And the shrewd and cunning serpent, evil in every way, slithered close enough to whisper, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And they died. Today, the serpent still whispers lies in the ears of willing listeners, offering sin-poisonous fruit that entices their godlike egos. Though already defeated, he will be silent soon by a final crushing from the bruised heel of the righteous king. Until that day, though, we must tend to the garden we have, marred as it is, and be ever watchful of the enemy who is as cunning as a serpent and as destructive as a rogue lion. Yesterday, what the enemy whispered in the ears of the governing leaders of the United States House of Representatives has now been loudly boasted throughout the so called garden of our nation. A new bill that's called the Equality Act was passed by the House Democrats and three Republicans, which would, according to the legislation, eliminate the legal definition of biological sex, it would acquiesce to non-scientific gender ideology and would also vilify defending the unborn as pregnancy discrimination. Now, Dr. Susan Berry um, wrote an article and identified seven radical demands, what she calls it, that can be ascertained from the Equality Act that that I want to share with you, and then I'm going to comment on on each of these. I'm going to to speak the first two that she brings out in her article, these two demands, uh, and then I'm going to comment on that, and then we'll we'll continue through um, the rest of of the other five. So here's the first one she said. That the bill would end the federal legal recognition of complementary male and female sex in favor of gender identity. Now, this is quoting from the Equality Act itself, the legislation. Here's what it says. Here's what it reads. Discrimination based on sexual orientation includes discrimination based on an individual's actual or perceived romantic, emotional, physical, or sexual attraction to other persons or lack thereof on the basis of gender. LGBTQ people, including gender non-binary people, also commonly experience discrimination because of sex-based stereotypes. Many people are subjected to discrimination because of others' perceptions or beliefs regarding their sexual orientation. Even if these perceptions are incorrect, the identity imputed by others forms the basis of discrimination. So that's that's the first demand with a, a section of the Equality Act uh, that I wanted to for, for you to hear. Here's the second demand, radical demand, that Dr. Berry says uh, can be drawn from this Equality Act. Since the Equality Act exempts itself from the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, religious schools, hospitals, and adoption agencies could face federal sanctions for upholding their teachings with regard to life, sexuality, and marriage under the legislation. So here here are my thoughts on this. In other words, to hold to the biblical worldview of God's created order, that being biological sex of male and female exclusively, will not only be discriminatory, but also can and will be deemed illegal and punishable by by law according to the law if it's fully enacted. So regardless of a person's religious belief, there is no legal justification for not adhering to the new legislation. And if you find that hard to believe, just listen to this excerpt. This is another excerpt from the Equality Act. And this is a quote. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993 shall not provide a claim concerning or a defense to a claim under a covered title or provide a basis for challenging the application or enforcement of a covered title. I've, I've put the link to this on my blog where you can actually link to uh, the Equality Act and see all this written in it. But that was a quote taken from the Equality Act regarding Religious freedom and not being able to utilize that or say that you have a religious belief and therefore you're exempt from what the Equality Act um, has put in legislation, so to speak, what, what it does legally. You see, there, there, there are numerous implications here for, for people of faith, whether it be in social settings or as an employer or employee and in other spheres of life and culture. Even the church is not exempt from the consequences of this legislation. Here's what that here's what that means specifically for pastors who still preach the whole counsel of God's word and are willing to be courageous enough to preach the truth of scripture. To preach Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, which reads: So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Or any other biblical text that speaks to God's created order of the biological sex of male and female. Would subject pastors and churches to the penalty levied by the se- the federal government for discrimination against those who identify other than male or female. In addition, because there's no protection under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993, a same sex, transgendered, binary, non binary, gender fluid, gender queer, cisgender, gender non conforming, or agender couple seeking to be married by a pastor in a church cannot legally be denied the the right, and I'm putting that in quotes, to do so according to the Equality Act. To deny, to, if you denied this request, I mean, to deny it would be punishable according to the legislation. Now, if you're unfamiliar with, with all of these gender terms, which seem to transition daily, you, you might want to get up to speed. So fortunately, Cosmopolitan is woke enough to offer their counsel in their article, 12 Gender-Related Terms You Should Know and Understand. And don't forget, you you should know and understand these. I mean, you really should know and understand these, lest you be unenlightened or or insensitive to this. Now, although what I just said kind of was was well, it was tongue in cheek, this is serious. If the church and pastors who shepherd do not begin to address this from the pulpits, the people who fill your pews or chairs, if you've got chairs, will continue to move their tents, so to speak, further from Eden. And what I mean by that is that they will be drawn and seduced by the cultural truths they are presented, which are in fact not truth, and find themselves, as the Apostle Paul writes, being taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You can find that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. As a matter of fact, such ideology is already in your church. You may not see it visibly or even hear it expressed verbally, but it's there. You see, for, for too long... I believe that the the church has embraced a dangerous practice of allowing anyone and anything into the community of believers. But when you look at at the church in the book of Acts, there's something that seems to, to be often overlooked. You know, Luke, Luke records this in Acts chapter two. He said, And they, speaking of the followers of Christ, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 44. In reading the text, the word together is, is often overly emphasized to the detriment of another word that is imperative in the life of a faith community, the word believed. Now, this word believed carries with it the implication that That this was a belief in Jesus Christ and the full message of the gospel, which is not only his death, burial, and resurrection, but also his teachings and his ways. You see, before people can live in true community together as it relates to faith in Christ, there, there must be a common belief. Apart from believing the essential doctrines of faith and holding to a biblical worldview expressly revealed in God's word, any sense of community or of being together becomes impossible. In being together, as Luke writes regarding the church, the meaning of the word speaks to unity or having the same mind concerning Christ and his gospel. And such a belief was that was the impetus to their practices of attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, and praising God and having favor with all the people at people, as the scriptures say. See, they experienced this though not by capitulating to those who did not believe in Christ and their cultural beliefs but by holding fast to what they knew was true according to Christ. As a result, God added to their number day by day those who were were being saved. In other words, people were coming to faith in Christ and being transformed uh, because of the work of the Spirit through the lives of true believers. Compromising the truth doesn't lead others to Christ. Quite the opposite is true. People today in this world are looking for truth. I mean, think about it. You, You probably feel this way. I know I certainly feel this way. How, how do we know what's being spoken is true? Even photos that we see or videos that we see can be easily manipula- manipulated. How do we know it's true? Well, for, 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 for me as a follower of Jesus, my faith rests in the fact that the Bible, God's Word, is true. It has always been true. It is true, and it always will be true. And the reason I know that's true is because God's Word says it is, and God says that He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I take His Word that His Word doesn't change. It's true. And so so what I realize is that when I preach the truth and when we speak the truth and when we don't compromise the truth, it leads people to the truth. And what greatly concerns me with the church today is how easy it is to become part of the faith community or church family or whatever term may be used. I really want to commend those churches that take steps to not only communicate what they believe through whatever process they have in place be it a membership class or whatever but they also take the time to get to know those who are desiring to be identified as part of the body of Christ within their local faith family. I mean to do so exemplifies shepherding the flock among you it's what Peter speaks of in 1 Peter chapter 5 as well as providing accountability and a willingness to be held accountable As those who believe and desire to be together in community. Now, I know that there are going to be those who disagree with me on this, and that's fine, but there's a popular phrase that exists in many church cultures that I believe may be well intended, but may also be misconstrued by those who seek to belong to a faith community. And it's the, phrase that, uh, it's the phrase, you can belong before you believe. Now, I get it. It's a popular phrase. I get it. And the intention may well be to communicate that any person is welcome to come to church and feel like they belong. And I get that to a degree. I really do. We certainly want those who do not know Christ or those who are questioning their faith to come and hear the truth of the gospel. So regardless of their beliefs culturally or politically or theologically, as well as their lifestyle cho- choices, I mean, we should desire that all people— um, are welcome to come and see, as Philip did when he met Jesus and, and told Nathaniel, hey, You need to come and see this Jesus I've met. We, we should be like that. But when it comes to identifying with the body of Christ within a community of faith, right, if we maybe call it church membership, there needs to be a common belief which includes a confession of faith in Christ and all that the gospel speaks and demands. I really feel like that. sometimes we focus on the gospel of being the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And yes, that is the gospel. But the gospel is the fact that Jesus came preaching a message of repentance and that the kingdom was here to repent because the kingdom is here. So the gospel is also a message of repentance, confession, repentance of sin, and turning to Christ for the forgiveness of sin. It's all that the gospel demands. So as a pastor, if you're listening to this, or maybe, maybe your pastor isn't listening to this and, and you, you would like to share this with your pastor, I encourage you to do so. Not because I want them to hear what I have to say, but just to get them to think about this. And so maybe this will be an encouragement to them, or maybe this may even challenge them. But if you're listening and you're a pastor, the question that you're going to have to answer is this. Will I preach the truth? And please don't, don't quickly state the obvious that we must be loving. The truth is always loving. How we speak truth is another important issue. But what is not loving is preaching feel-good messages that are merely injecting a false and toxic theology that is nothing more than a slow time release of theological poison. If you're needing insight and wisdom and counsel as to how you need to lead today as a pastor, then it would be wise to spend time pouring over Paul's counsel and admonition to Timothy that he wrote in 2 Timothy chapters three and chapter 4, chapter 3 and chapter 4. You see, if truth is not spoken, then the lies of the enemy will continue to be perpetuated and believed. As a matter of fact, someone once said if you t- if you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it will be believed. And that's a true statement. And just so you know, that someone was Adolf Hitler. And we know what came as a result of his lies. Here's the third demand that Dr. Barry presents in her article. The bill would eliminate the traditional right of privacy, to privacy of women and girls in public facilities in favor, instead, of gender identity. Now, who in their right mind thinks this is a good idea? Now, the key phrase there is right mind, because there are a lot of people who are not in their right mind. It, many of them are in leadership and government and uh, it's just, it, it, industry as well. I mean, it, but who in their right mind thinks this is a good idea? As a dad of three kids, they're, they're all grown not now, mind you, but one of whom is is my daughter, there is no way and it well, there's no way I would have ever allowed them to go into a restroom by themselves, knowing that a biological man could be in the same bathroom as my daughter, and a biological woman be in the same bathroom as my sons. I mean, even when they were younger, when when common sense still had some traction regarding biological sex and scientific reality, they often, not always, um did not go into a bathroom without me being with my sons or my wife being with my daughter when we were in public. And now, having a granddaughter and two grandsons, there is absolutely not a chance that they will be going into a public restroom while they're with me. Knowing that it is not only legal but it's celebrated that biological males and females can use whichever public facility they would like. And remember, even if you're opposed to this, based on this legislation, the Equality Act, you have no legal argument on which to stand. And if by chance there are some parents who are listening to this podcast or uh, those who will read the blog post later who think that eliminating this type of privacy for women and girls and even boys is somehow safe and acceptable and will allow your children the opportunity to grow and, and be accepting of the feelings and beliefs of others, then you're not only a special kind of ignorant, but you're contributing to the harm of your children. And I know I can already hear some shouting, how dare you? I would say, no, how, how dare you? This is your responsibility as a parent to protect your children. And to not speak up against this and to allow this to happen is not protecting your children. It's putting them in harm's way. Here's the fourth demand that Dr. Berry brings out regarding the Equality Act. The Equality Act would eviscerate women's and girls' sports. Now, we've heard, this has been in the news, right? Not just recently, but for a while now. And just to show you the hypocrisy and how fragile this failed argument has been that men and women, boys and girls are the same, you might recall the rhetoric that has been championed for quite some time that women should be allowed to compete in men's sports. Now, I don't think women should be allowed to compete in men's sports. I don't think men should be allowed to compete in women's sports when you talk about what whatever that looks like, right? I mean, as recent as this past fall, you may you may have seen this or heard about this. Uh, As recent as this past fall, there was a a young lady who was celebrated as being a place kicker, the place kicker for Vanderbilt, I think it was Vanderbilt University. But now, however, there's a backlash occurring over the acceptance of allowing transgendered athletes, specifically biological males who have transitioned to female, to compete against women. And the reasoning is that there is an unfair advantage. Well, we started on this slippery slope now of letting women play in men's sports, and and now, I mean, everybody was excited about that. And now this is happening, and there's a huge backlash. And all it is is a result of the hypocrisy of this. Slippery slopes often lead to a cliff that that plunges to death. I mean, that's just how it is. So, so this unfair advantage, we see that. So, I mean, it, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, according to a report by Duke Law School, um, they're quoted as saying this there is an average 10 to 12% performance gap between elite males and elite females. Why? Well, it's because biologically, it is evident that men and women are different. That's a scientific fact. A phrase we have heard thrown out a lot over the past year, which is only employed when it's politically and culturally expedient regarding proper appropriation. If if you want to see the data on this, uh, again, check out the report done by Duke University School of Law. Uh, I've placed a link on my blog post. You can go to seanbernard.wordpress.com. And you will see the article, and I'll have the link there. You can look at the data. It is, it is, ast- it is astounding, really. I mean, it's very eye opening, and it and it proves the fact that that there is an unfair advantage. It is. There's just that's just how it is. And for years, though, th- there's been an effort to not only blur the lines between men and women, but to literally obliterate the lines, as we've seen in the Equality Act. As a culture, there's been a failure to distinguish the difference between equality and sameness. Equality simply means that men and women are equal in regard to value and dignity. We are both men and women created in the image of God, and as people, men are not superior to women, nor are women superior to men. But equality does not assume sameness. We're not the same. We're not the same biologically. We're not the same physiologically. We process things different emotionally as well. We're different, and that's a good thing. Yet we live in a culture that wants to say that we're all the same, and we're not. It's evident. Scientific facts show it. Biology proves it. And what I find interesting is in a day and time when so many people want to shout, look at the scientific data, when it may not, in fact, be there. But they shout, look at the scientific data. They do that when it's convenient. They don't want to embrace the science that says that this pre-born in the womb of a mother is life that needs to be protected. Um, and, and, and they don't want to, they don't want to say that they don't want to say anything else regarding science, um, uh, as, as, as great and good data, unless it fits their narrative. That's just how things are. And it's ridiculous. All right. Here's the fifth demand that, um, Dr. Berry brings out. She said the Equality Act would be used to mandate school curricula that affirm and promote sexual orientation and gender identity views. Now, if this isn't further evidence of how public education is seeking to indoctrinate your children, I don't I don't know what is. And without question, listen closely to this, because I have many friends uh, who are in public education, teachers, administrators. And without question, we have many public school teachers who are followers of Christ and strong in their faith. And for those of you who are listening who are, uh, you truly are on the front lines, and the cultural war is intensifying. Now, that being said, however— teachers aren't the ones who set policy nor choose the core curricula that's taught in the public schools. In a lot of the Equality Act, schools will be mandated to teach a distorted ideology that once again defies the design of God and His created order. Now, in in all seriousness, at what point should a teacher, maybe you as a teacher, voice his or her concerns to the administration and the school board and take a stand against a mandate that is harmful to children? I mean, regardless of whether or not you hold to a biblical worldview regarding God's biological design, research has has shown that depression, anxiety, suicide rates, and other mental health issues are greatly increased as a result of this issue. And for those who are willing to look at the evidence, it's not because those who are confused regarding gender or dissatisfied with their gender are being unaccepted by culture. Culture is applauding this. They're encouraging and celebrating this. I mean, just look at all forms of media and in the marketplace. And now, federally, it's legislation. This is a spiritual issue because all of us have been created according to God's design and order. When cultural disorder replaces God's order, chaos and confusion ensue. It just does. I understand the desire not to abandon the public schools and to maintain a Christian witness in Babylon, so-called Babylon. For teachers who have such a calling, though, I'm going to encourage you, remain steadfast in your convictions. God's called you to this. If he's called you to this, remain steadfast in your convictions until he releases you and says it's time to step away. Let the light of Christ that is in you as a follower of Jesus shine in the dark places of the hallways and the classrooms and school board meetings or whatever. Let the light of Christ shine in dark places. But as in other professions, at some point, there may come a time when you will have to choose between acquiescing to the mandates that violate biblical truth or compromising your convictions. If and when that comes, the question is, are you willing to lose your job for the sake of what is right and what is true? According to Melanie Israel of the Heritage Foundation, um, she said this, The Equality Act could lead to changes in school curricula, such as texts that affirm and promote controversial sexual orientation and gender identity viewpoints. The Equality Act could also be used to override states that have prohibited sexual orientation and gender identity curricula. Did you you catch that? That that it can be used to override states that have prohibited this in the past. Where states have conversely mandated sexual orientation and gender identity curricula, parents and schools do not have access to opt-out options. Let me stop there for a second. In other words, if a parent doesn't like it, they can't say, I'm just going to opt my kid out of this. You can't do that. They would not be able to do this because it's a mandate for the schools to teach it. Parents don't have, and the parents' schools won't have access to opt-out of this. She goes on to say this, if the Equality Act were to become federal law and public school curricula become further entwined with sexual orientation and gender identity ideology, Planned Parenthood is well positioned to further its presence in public schools and take advantage of additional avenue to promote both sexual orientation and gender identity ideology, as well as the organization's hormone treatment services. In other words, additional sexual orientation and gender identity curricula could become yet another marketing tool for America's abortion giant. That's... What um, Melanie Israel of the Heritage Foundation had to say, and absolutely Planned Parenthood—they y- y- are literally licking their chops um, to to do this. It's all about them making money. That's it. That's it. It's not about health. It's not about women's health or public health. It's about them making money. Um, and we've seen that. We've seen the tapes of Planned Parenthood officials being caught um, and speaking about it being a money-making business. Now, although the Equality Act does not explicitly say that these things are going to occur, it would make illegal any attempt to deny schools what the legislation affords. So looking at recent history regarding gender equality ideology that's already pervasive in schools, this would encourage public schools to do so due to the legal protection that would be enforced. So for educators who believe this curriculum mandate would, would never come to their small town school or or their district that is led by maybe Uh, predominantly Christian administrators who would refuse to implement such a mandate, it'd only take one complaint, only one complaint from a parent who feels their child is being discriminated against or that the current curricula that's being taught is non-inclusive to legally force the school to comply. Only one complaint. That's where we are in our culture. So for parents who have kids in school, at what point will you make the sacrifice necessary in order for you to educate your students without fear of them being indoctrinated by curriculum that is destructive and counter to your biblical worldview and I say sacrifice because it it may mean a life a lifestyle change it, it may mean that you go down to a one-income family um, but the question is would the sacrifice be worth that for the sake of your children uh, sadly some will probably say no that's not necessarily not not worth that I think we can I think we can work through this truth is you can't this is this is something that's too detrimental to, to not be addressed you see as parents we're the primary disciple makers of our children it's not the church's primary role and it certainly isn't public education's role when you calculate the number of hours your child sits in a classroom at school versus the concentrated time you spend with your child reading god's word and prayer and day-to-day discipleship the disparity is massive and the reason i say that is because i know for a fact i've seen it i've heard it that many parents even even those who profess to be believers who would say they go to church on a regular basis Many, many of them don't spend time with their kids outside of those Sunday gatherings, outside of church activities, spending time in God's Word, talking about things that are related to Scripture or things that matter as it relates to faith. And so, when you think about when you get home and you're cooking dinner, or you're having to do the laundry, or or um, you're watching news, or you're watching your Netflix shows, or whatever else, your kids are doing homework. How much time are you really spending with your kids, pouring into them? So. The question becomes, at what point will you make the sacrifice that's necessary for you to educate your students without the fear of them being indoctrinated uh, by some curriculum that's destructive? It's counter to your biblical worldview. Now, although the teachers have the ability to make a choice regarding whether or not they stay and seek to be a witness in the workplace and among their students, children most often don't have the emotional or mental fortitude, the capacity to be able to withstand the process and process this onslaught. Of of such destructive ideology. They just don't. That's just, that's reality. The time may be coming soon when a choice will need to be made to do whatever's necessary again to provide a better environment for your children, to learn without fear of them being fed lies from the enemy who loves to whisper in their ears. Here's the sixth demand uh, that the Equality Act, I believe, uh, would. Would place on people the Equality Act would be used to remove custody rights from parents who refuse to have their minor children undergo transgender medical interventions and procedures. Now this this isn't what could happen; it's already happening. But would be um, would would it would present a legal framework if you will, for for it to become more frequent. Let me give you an example. In 2018, there was a couple in Ohio. I think it was Hamilton County, and I know some of you. Uh, are listening in Ohio, so um, you you probably know this story well. But in 2018, a couple who was in Ohio uh, who had a 17 year old girl lost custody of their daughter for opposing her wish for transgender medical treatments. Now let me let me re, let me reiterate this. This is their 17 year old daughter, a minor living with them under their care. Parents are responsible for her, um, but the daughter wants to have medical treatments in order to, to transition. The presiding judge, her name is Sylvia Hendon, gave custody to the girl's grandparents who fully supported their their 17-year-old granddaughter's desire to medically transition to a male. One attorney, said uh, he, sta- he said this, we think the grandparents are the ones who have an open mind and will make this sort of decision best for the child. The parents have clearly indicated that they are not open to it. That's what one attorney said. So rather than the parents knowing best, the government would be able to circumvent the God-given responsibility and rights of the parents. That, my friends, is totalitarianism at the core. Uh, Rod Dreher uh, wrote a book called Live Not By Lies, which if you want to see where we are as a country and where we're headed as a country, you need to pick up a copy or download a copy uh, on your Kindle or iPad, whatever, Rod Dreher's book called Live Not By Lies. It is, I read it like in three days. Um, If you want to see what's coming, he interviews those who lived under totalitarian rule and communism who now live in America, and they're saying we are completely blind to what's been going on for a while. But, But when the government decides we know what's best for you, right? You don't know what's best for your children, we do. That's a problem. And just... Just who are those who think they know what's best for your children? Well, one example is the Biden administration's pick for Health and Human Services, Rachel Le- Levine, I guess that's her Levine, Levine, a biological man who considers himself a transgender woman who is a proponent of and has supported both allowing minors to be given hormone blockers to prevent them from going through puberty, as well as surgical procedures for minors who wish to transition. I mean, doesn't it say something that hormone blockers have to be administered in order for the body of a child to stop developing as it was naturally intended to do? And what about removing parts of a child's body that are the result of their X or Y chromosome? How is that healthy for a child mentally, emotionally? How is it healthy for them physically? The answer is that it's not healthy. It's destructive. And the scientific evidence reveals as as much. According to Dr. Michelle Critella, she's the president of the American College of Pediatricians. She said this, over, eight, over 90% of people who commit suicide have a diagnosed mental disorder and there is no evidence that gender dysphoric children, I mean, those who are not satisfied, satisfied with their gender, um, that there's no evidence that gender dysphoric children who commit suicide are any different. Many gender dysphoric children simply need therapy to get to the root of their depression, which very well may be the same problem triggering the gender dysphoria. She went on to say that even in Sweden, I found this fascinating that even in Sweden, which is among the country's most accepting of LGBT individuals, adults who undergo sex change surgeries have a suicide rate nearly 20 times greater than that of the general population. 20 times greater than the suicide rate of the general public, which is in and of itself too high. Obviously, hormone blockers and sex reassignment is not the answer to gender dysphoria. You see, when, when humanity seeks to become like God, the result is utter destruction. Here's the last demand Dr. Berry speaks of, and that is this. The, Equalities a- uh, the Equality Act's text that names a form of discrimination on the basis of pregnancy would be used to punish health care providers who refuse to perform an abortion or to outlaw policies that ban funding for the procedure. The legislation reads this. This is what comes out of the Equality Act specifically. Discrimination can occur on the basis of the sex, sexual orientation, gender identity or pregnancy, childbirth or related medical condition of an individual as well as because of sex-based stereotypes. Each of these factors alone can serve as the basis for discrimination and each is a form of sex discrimination. Crazy. In short, let me kind of wrap this up kind of with this that this is it's another legal avenue that will be used against those who refuse to perform abortions by claiming it to be discrimination on the basis of sex. So not only is there an assault on the sanctity of life within the womb, but also on the dignity and God-given biological design of an individual. So just to wrap this up, what was true in Eden is true now. Satan is still whispering in the ears of God's most precious creation. And for all who give him a willing ear and listen to his ego-seducing lie, you'll be like God, a rude awakening is in store. No matter how hard man tries, he cannot uncreate God's created order. It's a futile attempt that leads to more confusion, chaos, pain, and suffering. The same results that happened when Eden was lost. The writer of Proverbs said it well when he wrote, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. That's in Proverbs 16, 25. I believe God is grieved over what he's witnessing in this world and not just with the evil that exists. I believe God is also grieving over his bride, the church, for burying her head in the sand and silent, and in silence, choosing to ignore what is clearly before her or for embracing a distorted theology and a godless ideology as being the loving and accepting thing to do. Navigating rightly the culture in which we live will never happen if we, as followers of Christ, do not hold to a high view of scripture and a biblical worldview that's clearly revealed in God's word. To not know his word is to not know his ways and how we're to live in such a time as this. Pastors, again, I'm begging you. I beg of you to preach the truth of God's word with conviction and passion, with brokenness and with lament, with loving kindness and mercy, with humility, yet with boldness and with a confidence that God's sustaining grace will cover you and his faithfulness will go before you in these days. In church, be the church God has ordained you to be. Make much of Christ and his word, and in doing so, point people to the truth. And be the bride who loves the bridegroom, Jesus, and readies herself for our soon coming king. Until that day, tend the garden he has given us, and be very watchful and very alert. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode on crossroads and culture. I hope that you have found this informative and helpful. I hope it's challenged you as well. And I would ask of you that if this has been helpful to you and you think it would be encouraging or something that a friend of yours might need to hear, I, I, I want to ask you if you would to to post this on your social media platforms, whether it be Facebook or a link uh, on Twitter, whatever it may be, but post it on your social media platforms. I would greatly appreciate it. And also, too, you can go and um, subscribe to uh, Crossroads and Culture Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or any other platform um, that hosts podcasts. If you would do that, and if you don't mind rating it, you know, every time it's rated highly. then more people have access to this or able to see this more. And so I would greatly appreciate that uh, because we want to get the message of the truth out. So thank you again for taking the time to listen, share this with those who need to hear this, um, and be ever prayerful um, that God would intervene in this, that the church would rise up, that we would live lives as followers of Jesus that bring him glory by living lives that point people to the truth of who Jesus is and to the truth we find in His Word. With that being said, I hope you have a great weekend, and I look forward to you spending time with me next time on Crosswords and Culture.